Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there. My name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's Marketing Vanguard podcast. We're so excited to bring you insightful content from key marketing leaders and thinkers. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. Also, we'll ask each guest to share the names of the people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for who we should interview next. I so look forward to sharing these conversations with all of you. Together, we'll tell a new narrative about the power of marketing leadership in driving business growth. Looking forward to having you join us soon. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Marketing Vanguard podcast. I'm Jenny Rooney. I'm the Chief Experience Officer here at Adweek, and I'm, I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Vineet Mera. He's the CMO of Chime. Uh, Vineet and I have known each other for a number of years now, and I've had the great pleasure of watching him um, move through his career um, through various marketing leadership roles. And we're going to unpack a lot of that right now um, in, this, uh, in this podcast conversation. So, Vineet, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jenny. Great to uh, be with you on this first day of school for both of our kids. It's, I know. Uh, quite a day. It is quite a day. It is. It's so funny because it's like, you know, listen, our, our lives are so much a combination of so many things. And, um, you know, especially in this business and, and there's so many people who... Uh, you know, listen, you're a brand leader, but you're a consumer. You're you're you obviously have your professional leadership role and you have your your home and your personal life roles. And um, I think today for for you and for me, we're we're feeling that confluence, right, of, of responsibility in all the best Absolutely. ways. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, family always first. And, uh, you know, days like the today really remind you of that. So. Happy to be talking about career, and as you know, those two things are intertwined, so I'm sure a lot of this will come up. It will, it will, yeah. So, um, no, I mean, I, listen, I, I love that, and, um, I, you know, and let's, I think what we're going to do in the, next, in the next 45 minutes or so is talk about that, and, and among other things, we're going to talk about, you know, um, who you are, how you define your leadership role in your organization and in your you know previous organizations, and how you think of of yourself as a true decision maker within your organization, to, you know to drive business growth in critical new ways, and 
you know, with the Marketing Vanguard podcast, one of the things that we like to do is get specific around those key decisions that are just so core to leadership. Um, Every day, you know, that's part of being a leader is like literally looking at every fork in the road that you encounter um, and, 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 truly making those decisions. And a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it is based on gut. A lot of it's based on data. A lot of it's based on um, hope. You know what I mean? I mean, there's just an intuition. So um, we're going to get into that. But I would love for everybody to um, hear from you directly a little bit about you. Um, and then would love for you to explain what Chime is for people who aren't as familiar. Yeah, sure. Well, well, thanks for, for the opportunity. So, um, you know, I guess a little bit about me and then kind of how that blends into my career. I'm a, you know, uh, a classic sort of first generation um, immigrant that came to actually Canada. I'm actually Canadian by citizenship, but born in India and eventually made my way to the U.S. But I say that because I think that first generation mindset definitely defines a lot about who I am as a person, as a leader, you know, as a teammate, um, as a family person, all those things really are intertwined. Um, And as far as my career is concerned, you know, I, I always chased experiences, not titles, levels. I think probably taken three pay cuts in my life at various times because I wanted an experience or I wanted to kind of live somewhere else in the world. So I guess my career is defined in a couple of chapters. Um, back when I got out of school in the 90s, um, as you remember, like the place to go for marketing was the CPG companies, right? You go in, if you can get into P&G or Unilever. Pepsi or, or yeah. Pepsi or Kraft back in the day, right? Like that was the like the academy's companies for uh, for marketing, and so I aimed for that path. I knew I loved marketing at a young age. I had a grade eleven uh, business school teacher who was an ex P and G guy turned teacher taught me a little bit about P and G, and I was like, that's what I want to do. Uh, I ended up at P and G right out of school and had my first half of my career in CPG. I lived in Switzerland, Singapore. India, the US, Canada, and had a very global CPG career. My last role in CPG is I was actually moving a little bit out of marketing and I was the global president of our baby care division at J&J, which was the biggest division over at J&J. And as you know, that's the CPG career path, right? Like marketers eventually land as general managers. I think I was 31 and I was just like, man, I, I love this, but I feel like the world's changing around me. And so after that role, I took my first big chance after taking a lot of kind of CPG experiences around the world. I moved to Silicon Valley and the next kind of decade or so uh, was all about tech and disruption and learning new skills and just trying to transform myself as a leader and a practitioner of marketing, the sort of East meets West sort of marketing thing that's going on. I really talk a lot about this Tupac Biggie thing in marketing where there's East Coast marketers like brand marketers and then West Coast marketers, kind totally. of performance marketers. And to mm. me, you know, I think blending that and where a career is headed is uh, very important. Um, so, so the second half of my career is being about tech. And, um, you know, I'm sure we can talk more about that. But I landed over at Ancestry and we brought DNA. Remember those genetic testing kits that went all over the world? We sort yes. of created a movement around that, really transformed that brand, kind of got my experience in private equity and how that works. Um, then I went into, uh, back over to Chicago and I went back to scale and was a global CMO of Walgreens boots, uh, which was a hundred billion dollar job. I had multiple CMOs reporting to me and I had the great pleasure of running retail pharmacy businesses 
in the middle of COVID, just imagine that those three years, two and a half of those years were COVID years. And we were trying to vaccinate America and the UK and, and different places like that. So fascinating digital transformation and customer experience role. There, my role morphed from CMO to also add the title of chief customer officer. So mm -hmm. this changing role of, I think, what a marketer can play in companies. Yep. And then back out here to tech and uh, into Chime, which is a, you know, really, you know, successful uh, company disrupting the finance space. So yeah. I guess a decade of CPG eventually leading to divisional kind of leadership and the last 10 years in tech and kind of disrupting categories. I mean, the word that comes to my mind is just this fluidity, right? Or this sort of this continual evolution, um, you know, as you know, you are sort of emblematic of, I think, the change that we talk about probably very broadly around how the role morphs, how marketing morphs, how companies are are rethinking what marketing should be as a growth engine. Like all of those things, sort of all of those trends that we talk about in gener general terms, you're actually like a, 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 you know, you embody that change because you've actually not just responded to it, but you've driven it. How hard has it been? Because what I'm hearing in that story is that you've had to do some, perhaps you've had to do some convincing, perhaps, of the companies that you're working in and for and with um, to also reimagine or rethink um, and reposition marketing and marketing leadership um, to be what you, it sounds like you very sort of fundamentally um, believe it needs to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I think depending on the company or the industry that you're in, the role of a CMO and the credibility of the function is meaningfully different. Let, let me give you examples. In CPG, I think it's pretty clear, right? Like the C, there's usually the marketers are the ones who end up becoming, you know, like I said, divisional presidents or the CEO of the company, not always, but in many cases, the CPG career path is very clear. Now, I've been out of that for a decade, but that's that's been established for years. That was sort of the breeding ground of marketers as leaders. And eventually that's where that happened. But you move into the tech world um, as marketing has become so much more attributable and the way tech companies are scaling is sort of through direct response and performance marketing and lifecycle marketing and some of these capabilities and approaches that are less prevalent in CPG that don't have direct-to-consumer business models. Right. Um, a couple of things happen. One, you become like a bit of a more of a transactional function because everything you're doing is on view for everyone to see, right? Like mm -hmm. I spend X money, I acquire X customers, and here's the cost of it. And so to really earn your credibility, you have to know your numbers, you have to know your tech, you need to know your data. It's just a completely different sort of skill set, I think, required to earn your way, earn your stripes in that industry. And then you go to retail, which I did with Walgreens Boots, mm -hmm. and it used to be that marketing was sort of like the, um, you know, like you make ads to support the beauty category yeah. or you know, the merchant in the home care category, right? And sort of what we're seeing also in retail, and I'm sure you're seeing this across many uh, retailers, and I've seen this across my peers, is the role of the CMO evolved into sort of the good ones are becoming chief customer officers, and they're starting to design the customer experience that defines the brand. Mm -hmm. And so it's uh, in each role, you have to like earn your stripes in a slightly different way, yep. but you need a very deep set of broad skills to be able to do that. And what yeah. I've tried to do is build experiences so that 
today I can kind of draw on all of those things and make that happen. And like I said, it took three pay cuts, moves around the world, working in private equity, selling a business, failing in one Series C business, right? Like all of this is part of it. And uh, I really ask people to embrace their careers like jungle gyms instead of ladders and go that. chase experiences. You, know? you, said, you said deep and broad. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's, it's that's true. pretty much covering the gamut. So um, that's ambitious, you know, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, I'm curious you're taking, by the way, I'm totally going off script here just because, I mean, this is. <laughs> let's um, do it. Let's, let's do it. I mean, you know, look, I've been kind of tracking this, this, um, I think there's a prevalence of CMOs who are, who are elevating into CEO roles and president roles at various companies. And I've been kind of tracking that for a couple of years now. And just curious your, your take on that, you know, and as you think about it, because listen, and I'm not putting value judgment on it because I think there's some CMOs who feel like staying in that role um, and continuing to just move among different types of companies and sort of continuing to evolve that role um, is an end in itself. It's it just, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderfully rich and ambitious um, career path. Uh, of course, there's other CMOs who we've seen uh, move into that, um, you know, that highest level role at companies um, and arguably getting away from the, you know, from, from the, the over the direct oversight of marketing strategy with what you said, you know, my question is, how are you interpreting that migration? And um, where do you think it works? Where do you think it doesn't work? And and if there were CMOs who do aspire to that, you know, what's your best advice um, from your perspective? Yeah, I think I think people make those decisions for different reasons. I think, like I said, in CPG, it's worked and it's worked for years, right? It's very, very clear. Where I think there's still a lot of evolution required for CMOs to ascend to that sort of CEO role is in the world of um, tech-driven businesses, right? Where you are fundamentally a product and engineering sort of centric business, you're a software platform or you're a platform business that is direct to consumer because those businesses are so um, sort of tech savvy. So I think the first thing is what is the category we're talking about? I, and I yeah. think sometimes in our industry, we talk in generalities yeah. uh, too much. And I really think it's category specific. Um, in the tech world, it comes down to, um, you know, you, you just, you have to understand how software gets shipped, right? You have to understand software development cycles. You have to understand how the engineering teams work. You have to understand how product roadmaps get built, which is very different than the other world. And so the most important thing I can share is that um, definitely uh, the path to that is to eventually CMOs need to lead aspects of the product organization yeah. in tech companies. Yeah. And that's happening more and more frequently. And as that happens, if you've got the revenue and growth side, which a lot of CMOs have, and you can blend that with kind of the product side, mm -hmm. I think now you've got the commercial and the product background to get there. I think the other thing is like just taking, you know, I take on public board roles of direct-to-consumer companies. I'm on the board of a programmatic ad tech company, right? Like really any way you can build your skills in a world that is increasingly going to be software driven, I think that's the kind of skill set that CMO is going to require to kind of become leaders of, I'd say, modern 
uh, business models and modern businesses and where the world is headed. It's, it's going to be critical. What do CMOs need now? Um, that's probably, I know that's a super vague question, but you know, um, everything that happens in this industry, you know, as frankly, as marketers, it's all about isolating needs and understanding what our consumers and our customers need. And that from there, we, we develop those products or services, that engagement, those platforms. What do you think marketers need now? In terms of skill sets and in, kind ser- of- in terms of helping them excel in, in terms of helping them, you know, listen, this is a question I could have asked you six months ago, two years ago, five years ago, and I'll oh, ask yeah. you again in five years. So I'm not saying it's a new question. It's a perennial question. But like given the here and now we're on this side of the pandemic, um, you know, I think there are economic pressures that are still obviously affecting um, so many people in this world. So. You know, just kind of taking stock of the moment we're in right now, what do you think marketers need um, to power themselves and their businesses forward and, and sort of um, what do they lack and what are they really searching for? As yeah, it's such a good question. Just to, to, to your listeners, and I'll kind of answer this, if to your listeners that want to become CMOs one day, I'll kind of answer it in that context because I think the needs and the skills are are much more diverse than they used to be. I think the first thing is, look, I'm really thankful for my CPG training, right? Like that was the first decade of my career. And I don't think those fundamentals go away. Like you said, understanding consumer needs, being able to articulate insights, um, being able to define benefits of products, like all of those things that are core to CPG sort of brands, those are not going to be lost. And those are fundamental skill sets, building great creative right platforms. All of that is going to continue to be critical. But in addition to that, there's more things that are required. The first one is you have to become what I call sort of ambidextrous or full stack marketers. So CPG works a lot at the very top of the funnel, right? Building kind of brand campaigns and creating demand at the very top of the funnel. But in today's world, what you need to work is full stack, right? You need to build the demand and then kind of be able to sweep up that those prospects and those customers through performance marketing. Mm. And too often, these two things are seen separately. So you need to become full stack and be able to understand how brand connects to the bottom of the funnel, which is sort of performance marketing. And then that connects, once you have the customer acquired, how that turns into lifetime value of a customer to things like lifecycle marketing and product marketing and those kinds of things. So by full stack, I think the new definition is brand plus direct response and sort of capturing that demand and then pulling that one step lower into sort of lifetime value of customers. And more and more CMOs are being asked to do the full thing, top to bottom. And I think that's a really important skill set for people who want to become CMOs. Yeah. I think the other the next thing is like just understanding, I know this sounds a little bit like kind of geeky, but understanding data and Martech stacks. All of this stuff I'm talking about is enabled through sort of the right data platforms and data pipes feeding things the right way. Um, data f- you know, flowing into, into stacks that feed your advertising dollars and creating, I mean, just this week I was working on a predictive algorithm that could actually send money to the ad platforms and only bid on the customers that I thought were the highest predicted conversion customers for me, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like, I need to build, like we're, we are the systems architects of our own tech stacks now. And like, how many CMOs can talk about that, right? You need to understand that and go deep in the weeds. So that's like the third thing, that's where personalization happens. That's how you build LTV. And then the fourth thing I'd say is the leadership muscle, right? Being able to build 
teams of specialists, right? It used to be like, how can you hire specialists if you don't understand the craft, right? You don't need to be better than other people at what they do, but you need to understand how the modern marketing ecosystem works so you can construct your team with the right skill sets. So I think the hiring, the design of orgs, the hiring of specialist talent, and then the motivation and connection of specialists into a team that feels like a united front, even though marketing is becoming a function of specialism, um, is such an important leadership skill because you now have like all these ambidextrous people all over the place and you're almost leading marketing through scrums and almost like product squads rather than in an agile sort of model rather than sort of a linear top-down model. Yep. And so that's the other leadership skill which I think needs to be built. So maybe I'm talking like, I don't know, uh, a different language in some ways, but I really think that's the language of the CMO today and people want to become that like, better be building those skills on their way up. I love that. Um, I want to ask you this next question. You know, I know for a fact that agency executives listen to this podcast and they, they, they share it with their teams because, you know, it's obviously it's getting, I'm sure it's other podcasts too, of course, but like it's um, getting that insight into understanding like how and where and why agencies fit and need to be the best partners and collaborators. And, um, you know, so these conversations um, provide that insight. What's your take? You know, what, where on the agency front and, um, you know, in terms of, again, in this moment, where agencies need to be um, most beneficial to their brand partners, um, what, is, what is that place for you? Yeah, look, I, yeah, I consider some like people like Mark Reed and Artur, these are two of my close friends. I mean, I consider yeah. them great leaders of agencies. And I think they're thinking, starting to understand where the model needs to go. So in the context of agencies, the kind of what I always ask of agencies or the advice that I would give people like that is a couple of things. First, you know, I don't think CMOs want to pay per hour anymore, right? Like the days of sort of scopes of work and trying to predict the hourly rate of how many people I need, you know, I think those days are starting to go away. And what we want is outcomes based, you know, um, kind of uh, agreements, right? Of course, we need to create some kind of retained sort of because they got to pay their staff, etc. But we need to balance that retained with outcome based approach, performance based approach in a much more uh, kind of clear way. Like CMOs are being held more accountable than ever for growth and results. And right. we need agency partners that are willing to put their skin in the game and really balancing sort of the predictable retained dollars with the kind of less predictable outcome-based, performance-based dollars. I think that's bucket one. Bucket two is, um, you know, just like I talk about CMOs need to change. I mean, if, if agencies are not ahead of CMOs on what a modern marketing sort of kind of model looks like, a stack looks like, the ca- all those capabilities I talked about, if an agency cannot bring a blend of seamlessly integrating those capabilities I talked about to the table, I think they're going to go irrelevant. And this is what's happening, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever read this book, Madison Avenue Massacre. It's a fascinating, fascinating book. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially, you know, these old models of like media agencies being separate from creative agencies, being separate from... I don't know, uh, the tech side of the world. I, I just don't know how that works anymore. Like it ends up being on the client to integrate the agency. It should right. be the other way around. Yeah. The agency should be so integrated that it makes the job easy 
for the client. And this means, you know, thirds, like agencies need to get rid of these like individual PLs everywhere, right? Like I, the agency's PL problem is not my problem, right? Like yeah. I, I adore and love our agencies, but you know, like when the infighting starts there, it's like, no, like what is a singular PL? I get I get that we have to run in PLs, but like how does the client not see the agency's org structure, you know, in the day-to-day work, you 100%. know? percent. It needs to be completely, yeah, it needs to be sort of, um, uh, it, they need to be blind to that, right? Like it just, just needs seamless. to be yeah. correct. Um, it will, you know, look, I mean, just like anything, things grow, you know, it's hard to, Listen, I covered interactive agencies back in 1998, 99. Yeah. Remember when that was a thing? <laughs> and that was a thing. It was a big thing. Yeah. And um, they didn't call them even digital agencies. And I mean, it was sort of like these things were created to respond to tactics, right? To new tactics that were. And I think like, listen, I mean, it, and it's no fault of anybody's because, you know, hindsight's 2020 but like if you're only responding to tactics you're not looking you're just not looking at things holistically and so i mean to your point i think there's still vestiges of that those kinds of breakouts where agencies are set up to you know simply just acknowledge and respond to and address tactics as opposed to overall strategy and and centralize yeah. it and and by the way i i got to give credit um these are my observations but i got to give credit to the industry a little bit i mean People like Mark Reed are starting, you've seen him integrating agencies together, right? Like he's bringing agencies under one umbrella in the first steps of starting to do that. People like Artura at Publis- Publicis are starting to create singular PLs, kind of this one PL model. And you're seeing that. You see agencies like uh, what David Droga is doing over at Song and starting to blend the consulting side with the tech side with sort of the acquisition of of Droga 5 and the design agencies they've acquired. So I think people are getting it and we just need to move faster and faster on that side of the house to enable CMOs to be more successful as well. It's going to take two sides to to win this. A hundred percent. Last quick question on this point and then then we'll we'll move on uh, next to sort of you as a leader within your organization um, and kind of what you're doing there. But uh, listen, our our name is Adweek, you know, advertising where how do you, Vineet, regard advertising as you know, that that, certainly that's our history. I mean, we've evolved so much beyond that because obviously I think we, we recognize advertising is but one important, incredibly important component of an overall picture. But like. Again, as we sit here in this moment, how do you define advertising? Where does it have power, um, and how must it be harnessed? You know, for best use um, by marketing leaders. Yeah, look, um, I, I know I'm uh, uh, speaking to the converted here, and I'm speaking to you on, the, on these topics. But um, you know, I, I, people have said this before: the, the word advertising needs an advertising campaign, right? Like it is. I'm not sure that word any longer carries the credibility. Uh, that it used to, right? Like back in the Mad Men days where like you'd go to a fancy office on Madison Avenue and, you know, I, I've been to all these offices and you'd be blown away by like the room you were sitting in. You know, it's, I think it still evokes vestiges of that. The word that I use now um, a lot more is like the, the word that I've sort of, I don't know if I coined it, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, I don't know, maybe I picked it up from somewhere, but it's this word I call performance storytelling. Yeah. And I actually think that that's what we do now. Like, the storytelling has not gone away. It's just that it happens in a full stack way, right? The stories I'm telling at the very top of the funnel are different than I have to like do a chapter two 
in the middle of the funnel. And then once you're a customer, I have to do a chapter three. You know, it's a never ending editorial multi-channel approach to storytelling that we need to do. But I add the performance to it because without accountability right. and, and outcomes, it honestly doesn't matter. So to me, it's like this, this word advertising, I think, does need to get reinvented. I think it's incumbent on us as leaders to figure out how to do that. I'm not, I think we talk about that a lot, but I'm not sure we're doing much about it, to be honest. So it comes down to us as an industry and leaders to like really gain the credibility of our words back, of our function back. And so, you know, I, I don't really use words like advertising anymore, to be honest. I, I always say things like storytelling or performance storytelling. And um, I, I think that's really where, where we're headed now. Like that's, that's I think what it's about, driving performance through telling great stories about your brand. We'll be back with more Marketing Vanguard after this quick break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. All right, so Vineet, let's talk about, now let's get into, um, I like to ask questions uh, in the Marketing Vanguard podcast around like just leadership, you know, leadership approach. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm curious to ask you this question and anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I ask this every time, but I like to use the analogy of, of being a player on a soccer, on a soccer field and, or a soccer pitch and thinking about, you know, what position you play. And so are you at the, the front of the the front of the team um, scoring the goals and in, in, in the striker position, are you at midfield really trying to be that connective tissue between the strikers and the defense? Or are you at the back of the pitch really protecting the goal um, you know, from your competitors? Yeah, well, you picked a good sport. I love soccer and I love basketball. So, um, you know, for me, it's if you ask me to pick a pick a position on the pitch, it's to me, it's it's this sort of center midfielder. Um, and the reason I go there is, yeah, you know, I talked about how modern marketing organizations need to be designed with, you know, specialists, right? Like if you think of a soccer field, you've got the sweeper in the back, you've got the striker up front, you've got the wings. And in many ways, the center midfielder's role is to ensure the ball is moving in the right way when you need to get back, you know, you're running the whole field, right? As a center midfielder. So you, when you run back to defense, sometimes you just got to get that ball back up and reinforce the defensive position. Mm. Sometimes you've got to like get the ball up to the striker and be able to get that goal scored. So I think in a lot of ways, it's really, if it was a soccer analog, to me, it's that center midfield position where 
your role is to facilitate. It's yeah. to enable. It's to play where the, the team needs you at that time. And um, I think in leadership parlance, that would be called sort of servant leadership. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really important role at, that a leader needs to do. You're, you're not the one scoring the goals. So that's not an uncommon response from CMOs and marketing leaders who I ask that question of. I'm, I, there is variability in the answers that I get for that. Um, I wonder if we were to ask that question of CEOs, CFOs, or CIOs, you know, for example, what different responses we would get. And I'm curious, do you have insight into that? What would you speculate? And then obviously the other part of that is who are your best collaborators? You know, if that's who you are in your leadership team, if you're the center midfielder, you know, who are, who are, who are your CEO and your CFO and others in the C-suite that you're working with? And and how do you define the collaboration that you have with them? Yeah. I mean, in so many ways, um, the CMO's role, I think now, if we go to the C-suite is to, you know, in many ways, like the C- this is probably the first time, frankly, I've had a chief marketing officer title in many, many years. Usually my role, titles don't matter, but my role ultimately is growth, right? My role yeah. is to be the chief growth officer or the chief revenue officer, call it what you want to do. And so ultimately, my role in the C-suite is to drive growth. And the CEO, the CFO, all of my colleagues are relying on me to allocate capital. And I allocate by far the most capital of anyone in the C-suite, right? Like my job is a capital allocator. And if you look at percent of revenue, by far, I, I, I spend quote unquote more money than anyone in the C-suite. They are relying on me to spend those dollars in the most efficient and effective way possible. The whole blend of the dollars. You know, I spend, without getting into it, I spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year. So that's what I've got to do. Um, and I think that is my role. But to do that, I need to be the ultimate collaborator that I can be, right? That we have to be, we cannot, we all think we can do this alone, but it takes a village, right? I need my chief product officer's partnership to build products that eventually become viral and don't require marketing to sell it, right? When, you know, I actually, I was, I get told all the time, I'm one of the few CMOs that asks for a smaller budget because <laughs> if my budget shrinks, that means the product is selling itself, right? I, I, will, I, I will say like, I want my marketing budget to go to zero because a marketer's job shouldn't be to spend money. It should be to spend the least amount of money to get the highest possible result. And if that means my product can create its own viral route, the referrals and things like that, awesome, right? Especially in tech businesses, that's great. I would love nothing more than that. I need my CIO or CTO in, in other language, right, to help me build the tech stack I talked about earlier, right? right. Do, do I know the information of my customers? Do I have a single view? Is that single view feeding into my data platforms that are feeding the Google Analytics and you know the media platforms that I need. So we can't do it alone. And so I think um, that analogy applies. I think if there's one role that needs to connect the C-suite, I think it's the CMO because ultimately leadership teams of companies are about growth. They're about efficient growth. And in many cases, we hold the keys to deploying the capital to get there, but we can't do it alone. We have to be humble teammates and, you know, seek help and and support uh, of the community of our leadership teams. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about Chime's journey and where Chime is uh, right now. Yeah. So I recognize that um, probably a lot of the listeners are probably not in Chime's target audience. Um, And so 
may not know Chime, but that's that means we're probably doing a pretty good job of of targeting where we need to target and uh, growing the way we need to grow. Um, in a nutshell, Chime is what you know. I guess the trades and and modern sort of business magazines would call like a fintech company, um, and essentially. We are a uh, financial services company powered by technology that is essentially um, built to serve everyday Americans with sort of, you know, fair, transparent um, and honest sort of practices when it comes to banking services. So essentially, um, just to give you a sense, let me start with purpose and I'll kind of talk through this. So. Our purpose is to what we call uniting everyday people to unlock their financial progress. So if you go back many years, right, um, banking is full of things like fees and um, overdraft fees and like, you know, things of that nature that really make it hard for everyday Americans who live paycheck to paycheck, which is, by the way, 70% of the U.S. population lives paycheck to paycheck. Um, and, you know, the people who at least need fees and overdrafts and things like that are the ones who are getting penalized by the larger banks. So essentially, we've disrupted, we're disrupting the financial services industry by sort of ushering in an era of services and products that kind of uh, are really transforming banking. So, for example, we started with fee-free banking, um, and we were kind of one of the first ones to have fee-free checking accounts and things like that, even if no matter what your balance was. We then went to sort of, we created this thing, product called SpotMe, which is a $200 uh, fee-free overdraft limit. So, you know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, sometimes you run out of money on that Friday, right? And you just need to get through that weekend and fill your gas. So sometimes that overdraft happens for a couple of bucks and now you're charged a $20 overdraft fee. So we created sort of a fee-free overdraft model up to $200. Then we created our next big innovation, which was getting paid two days early. So if you direct deposit with us, um, you get your money back. You get, your, cool. you get paid two days early, which was helps with that challenge. And then our, our, our innovation a couple of years ago is what we call the credit builder card, which essentially is risk-free credit building. It's essentially a secured credit card where you can kind of build credit and spend like a debit, spend like a credit card, but it's a security of a credit card mm. and essentially be able to build your credit along the way. So, you know, we've really made a big difference in the industry, you know, $9.9 billion in overdraft fees have been taken out, um, you know, since wow. uh, pre-pandemic levels. We've given members back $5 billion of tax refunds, uh, $18 billion of like overdraft, sort of free overdraft for people. It's been a real disruption in the industry and, you know, we're growing very fast as a result. So let me ask you, um, you know, Obviously, we learn so much from, and I love that you just talked about purpose and how you're really pulling that through. Um, I think what we learn as anybody who, you know, um, is in any sort of working role or leadership role is we learn as much from our the mistakes we make as the wins. And so I'm going to ask you to share, um, you know, a mistake you learned from and then also something where you hit it out of the park and, and what you learned from that. Yeah, I'd say, you know, at the level we operate as CMOs where I've been for the last kind of n number of years, the biggest mistakes, candidly, have always been um, on the hiring side, right? No one has a 100% batting average, right, on that front. And where I've made those mistakes is I've hired either too much on one side, either for technical capability and skills, or I've hired too much on the... Um, 
on the kind of culture fit side and mm-hmm. haven't been able to balance both of those things. And I think over time, my batting average has gotten much better on that. But I think what I've learned over time is that I'm starting to spend, you know, people who've interviewed with me know that I take four or five interviews to like really hire someone now, because I feel like that's probably every mistake I've made. Yes, there's technical errors or judgment decisions that you make, but ultimately it ladders down to, did I have the right people on the boat, you know? Mm-hmm. And so where I spent a lot of my time developing my intuition is how to hire people. Um, I think for everyone that's different, but I'd go first deeply technical and make sure that folks can do the job at hand. Mm-hmm. And then I do this thing, which many people will refer to as the airport test, right? Where I, I then just, we just hang, right? We, <laughs> I have them over to my house for dinner. Like we, we go out for a drink or we just do something that's much more just human. Mm. And that allows me to separate those two things. What I found was I was making mistakes that I tried to do both at once. Mm-hmm. And I think those are different sides of your brain sometimes. And that's really where I've tried to improve the most. I think ultimately it comes down to the people that you that you have on this boat. And that's probably where I've made my biggest mistakes, but also tried to learn and grow the most over the years. And a win and something, you know, one of the things with the Marketing Vanguard podcast, um, the question I ask people if, if marketing, I, I'm sorry, if Vanguard literally defined means a group of people leading the way in new development or ideas, what's an example of a development or an idea that you've had that you feel has made um, material change either for um, your company or for the wider industry? Yeah, I, I think um, I think probably one of the things that you know I'm most proud of, of being part of the team on is really elevating how brand stories get told, um, but outside of advertising. So when we were at Ancestry and we kind of brought genetic testing into the world, one of the things that we did was, you know, advertising, I think consumers see through advertising. They know when they're being marketed to now. So we started to create live programming and actually we're nominated for Emmy Awards. Things like Who Do You Think You Are, Long Lost Family. These were television shows that we were actually very much behind to get people interested in a category that isn't as functional, right? It's much more emotional. And I think starting to think of um, storytelling as not as advertising, but as sort of long form, short form, you know, scrolls, clicks, you know, being able to tell stories across multiple formats that kind of all tie and tick together, almost like a puzzle, I think is something that um, that we really figured out. I'm really proud of that team um, at Ancestry and the work we did to kind of bring this idea of unlocking our past and um, to inspire our future, showing us that we're all much more similar than we are different. And all of that was done through, you know, storytelling in ways that I guess traditional to our, use our word earlier, advertising mm-hmm. wouldn't cover. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's a pretty big unlock and something that I try to bring with me um, across my experiences. No, I love that. I mean, I think obviously I think the whole ancestry stuff, I mean, the, the messaging and the, the, it's almost like shining light on new truths that, you know, uh, yes, it's marketing. Yes, it's pushing product. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, marketers are, are, are they have a job for a reason. But you're, you, you left a narrative out there in the world, too, that is material and that the people are actually, you know, continue to have them think differently about backgrounds and ancestors and you know and so there's there's an interesting um resonance and something to know that you've left that mark um beyond the corporate goals is is pretty is pretty is pretty powerful 
Yeah, and, and it's just a great example of sort of full stack marketing. I mean, I was talking about the highest order storytelling, but under the hood, that's the stuff people see. But under the hood, if you had seen the direct response team we had and the performance marketing team we were doing to sweep up the demand we were creating from that narrative and the tech, the marketing technology stack and the data stacks we had built, I think at that point we had done one of the largest Salesforce migrations in history to enable all of this. You know, I, I love um, that reminder. Yes, because there has to be a baton handling uh, handoff. Exactly. I mean, you cannot it cannot live out there in the ether without that that undergirding of of um, of systems and talent and skills and um, operations. Um, Absolutely. So so key. Um, Honestly, Vineet, um, this has been wonderful. And I had one last question for you, which is um, who's next? Um, one of the, you know, purposes, if you will, or so one of the priorities of, of, of Marketing Vanguard is, yes, definitely spotlighting those people who are in high level, uh, you know, C-level roles, whether it be CMOs or equivalent roles or, or even CEOs um, that have come up through the CMO role. Um, but we also want to shine light on people who... Um, may not yet be household names, you know, might be people who um, do or don't have the C-suite title, but are doing some incredible things. Cause I think there's marketing decision-making happening at, at all different levels. And so the question is who, who would be next? Who should we interview next um, for the Marketing Vanguard podcast? You know, I'm always fascinated by some of the, what you're seeing more and more in industry is CMOs going to agencies and it's happening more and more. You know, there is uh, a couple of people I really regard as great CMOs who are now agency leaders. I think that'd be a fascinating yes. topic for people to learn about and how they're taking their practitioner mindset into the agency side. Uh, Tessa Arganis is um, yes, former yes, yes, CMO yes. of Discord, now is the uh, North American president of AKQA. And she actually brought Jabari over with her and he is now the Amazing. LA office leader. It'd be kind of cool to like, you can maybe have both of them together and just see how people who are CMOs are coming into the agency world and, and making a difference and helping helping us bridge um, the needs that we both have to be successful in our industry. I love that idea. And uh, I will definitely reach out to them. Um, I'm going to just a quick little plug. And one of the things that I think they would be fantastic for is our Adweek X event that's happening at the end of the year because it's literally an event that is meant to spotlight um, the connections and collaborations and sort of the, almost like the the cross-functional relationships that we're starting to see um, continually power the industry. I mean, I think, listen, we've always historically had agencies and clients and all those sort of traditional uh, pairings, but I think we're just seeing so many more new and frankly, um, unusual and expected pairings and in the way that the advertising marketing brand industry is partnering with um, unlikely um, suspects that are helping them advance their businesses and their brands in exponential ways. So um, we're, we're stay tuned for more on that because there's, there's a lot there that, that we're super, super excited about, but um, a lot of these shifts we're seeing, we're going to be addressing there. And I think um um, certainly on this podcast, but perhaps in that context as as well. I'd, I'd love to get um, Tessa and Jabari there uh, for conversation. So um, and you as well. So so much more to come. We have so many other things we could talk about, Vineet. Um, it's always a pleasure. But for now, thank you so much for being here, and I hope to talk to you again very very soon. 
Thanks for having me, Jenny, and congratulations on all the success with Vanguard, and uh, wish you the best of luck with Adweek. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.